morning, everyone. It's so good to see you this morning. If we don't know each other, my name is Justin. I serve on our ministry team at Mountain Hope. It's great to be with you this morning. To all our friends who are watching from home, welcome to you as well. We're so glad that we can all worship the Lord together. So great to hear from Hillary and from our global outreach partners and what God is doing around the world. So thank you for your continued faithful giving to those ministries as well. Sometimes I watch James and Andrew and I look at their excitement and their energy and I feel like I could drum up that same energy, but I think I'd pull a muscle or something if I did, or I'd need a nap right after church. But I really appreciate what they do every single week. And to have the youth ministry coming here to Belmont this Friday is really a great blessing in what God is doing here in our church as well. As we look into God's Word this morning, I invite you to grab a Bible from the seatbacks in front of you, or if you would love to use your phone, we'd, we'd be, we'll be in the book of Luke this morning. Luke chapter 22 is where we'll be. As you're pulling that up, we'll get there in just a minute. I have a question for you. What's your favorite genre of movie or book or television show? When you're clicking or looking for a show to watch or something to watch, where do you usually go? Is it mysteries or romantic comedies? Is it comedies in general? Is it uh, thrillers or suspense, action? Where do you like to go when it's time to be entertained? I have a very specific type of uh, movie or book that I typically look for, and that's suspense. It's this, I want to I, I wonder what's going to happen next constantly. I want to flip pages. I can't wait to see what happens to this character on the show or in this movie. Suspense, action, thriller, this always excites me. And there's this specific subset of suspenseful films that I always love, and that's the one Weirdly enough, where a bunch of people break into a house and there's someone inside the house who needs to defend themselves. And so when you watch these movies, think about what happens, right? It's this group of bad guys who are breaking into a home while there's this one person or family inside the house and they've got to defend themselves. This person's defending himself using a, a potholder and some socks and a spoon or something and he's defending his family against this brutal attack coming from outside. And every time... I watch one of these movies, I think to myself, that's what I would do if I was in that situation. If there was a group of intruders breaking into my home, I would fight them off with all of my hidden weapons around the house. I would bind them. I would call the police. I would use these witty one-liners as I'm doing all of it. And in my mind, I am this amazing crime-fighting hero that would stop this band of intruders. But then reality sets in, because I know who I really am. Yes, there's a possibility that I would defend my family and do all of those things, but there's also a pretty good possibility that I would be the first one to run out of my house screaming if that happened. Because sometimes who I think I am doesn't always match up with who I really am. Now, this happens in a lot of areas of our lives as well. I'm a big sports fan. And every time I'm watching sports on a Saturday or a Sunday, I'm watching sports on TV or a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday too. When I'm watching sports, and you may have seen this happen to yourself, I'm talking to the TV. I'm talking to the athletes while I'm watching the game. I'm telling them, how could you let that happen? How could you mess up? I'm speaking to them as though I could have done what they just messed up in doing. I'm always thinking, I could have jumped 10 feet, caught that football, and landed with two feet in the end zone. I could have dunked over those two seven-footers. In my mind, who I think I am is always better than who I really am. The truth is... I probably have struggles still getting out of bed in the morning, but in my mind, I can do what those guys are supposed to do. Who I think I am doesn't always match up with who I actually am. And this morning, as we enter into God's Word, we're going to meet someone, someone that Pastor Brian alluded to a second ago, 
someone who thinks that at times I am better, I am more than I actually am. And sometimes that can come into conflict with who God is as well. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we're on page 882 if you have a pewback Bible here. But if you are using uh, your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 34. And then we'll fast forward up to verse 54 as well. Luke 22, verse 31. We read there like this. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him, but he, meaning Peter, denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. If you've been with us these past few weeks, we've been in the Gospel of Luke, and we'll be there throughout much of this year. We've been learning about the life and the ministry of Jesus from multiple perspectives. And these last few weeks, we've been learning about this idea of when you see it, of how we can potentially miss what God is doing in our lives, the it of our lives, the fact that Jesus came and died for our sins and set us free and promises eternal life to us through the blood that he shed for us, we can miss it sometimes in our lives. We talked about Pharisees who who thought they were close to God but were actually far from God and missed who Jesus was. We talked about the disciples last week who were arguing amongst themselves who's the greatest and missed who Jesus was. And today... We'll get to meet Peter, Simon Peter, this man who we can argue was the closest to Jesus. We can say knew him the best, knew him the longest, one who was one of the first to be called by Jesus as a disciple and follower. We learn about him and his interaction through this conversation that he has with Jesus. Right after this conversation about who's the greatest in the kingdom happens, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says like this, that Satan has requested or has demanded to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed that your faith may not fail. And when the disciples hear this one disciple in particular, Peter decides to chime in because Jesus was speaking specifically to him about what what Jesus had done to pray for him. And Simon Peter chimes in. He says, Lord, don't you know who I am? Don't you know how amazing and powerful my faith is? Don't you recognize, Lord, that I am willing to go to jail for you? I am willing to die for you. Don't you recognize how amazing I am? 
Sometimes who we think we are doesn't always match up with who we actually are. And Jesus so gently and lovingly reminds Peter that, Peter, maybe one day you will go to jail for me. Maybe one day you will die for me, which Peter, by the way, would. But before this night is done, you will deny me three times. You will deny even knowing me three times. Sometimes who we think we are doesn't always match up with who we are. And Jesus uses this term with, with Peter. He reminds him, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. It's this farming metaphor that may not come so easy to us because we're used to going to the store and buying bread. And sometimes we don't fully grasp the whole process of making bread. And Jesus says to them, Simon, Satan has requested to sift you like wheat. Let's take a look at what this process actually looks like. Some of you may have seen what sifting wheat looks like. But the process of wheat, how it becomes bread, is a long, arduous process. It starts when we plant the seeds and we harvest those long stalks of wheat that you may have seen in your lifetime or in your travels. And once they've been harvested, they're then in a process called threshing, where they're brought down to a long, flat place. And either a machine or a person by hand or an animal or a rock is used to crush these heads of grain until they're separated. The chaff, which cannot be used, is separated from the little kernels of wheat, which can be used. After that part of the process, a farmer comes and he or she will use a fork like a pitchfork or a winnowing fork and grab up everything on the ground and toss it in the air. The chaff will blow away in the wind and the kernels of wheat will drop back to the ground as they're slightly heavier. But the process is still not done. The next thing that the farmer has to do now is look down at a bunch of kernels of wheat which are mixed in with pebbles and dirt and soil. And so the farmer will grab those in that sieve, that round basket with holes in it, and will violently start shaking what he's grabbed. And the little bits of dust and dirt and stone and pebbles will come out. And all that's left is the wheat that can be used to make bread. And Jesus says, Simon, Satan has requested to sift you like wheat. Some of you sitting here right now know what this feels like, to be attacked by the enemy, to be sifted by the enemy, to go through a season of sifting, a season of separation from God, to be violently shaken, to be violently crushed, to be constantly in upheaval and uncertain and unsteady in your life, to go through financial issues, to go through family issues, to go through sickness and depression and anxiety and worry and day after day to wonder, God... I don't know if you're part of this equation called my life anymore. I don't think we're all going in the same path. And this is part of Satan's attack on not only Peter, but us even today in 2021, to be violently shaken and sifted to come out separated from the Lord. What the enemy desires is for you and I to be separated from God to have our paths diverge from the Lord so much that we don't go in the same direction that the Lord is going in. And so this morning, I ask you this question. When the enemy is sifting you, and the enemy has sifted you, what's left? What's left in your life when the enemy has sifted you? When you've gone through the hardest trials of your life, when you've gone through a lot of no's in your life, when you've gone through difficulty and trouble and turmoil in your life, what is left at the end of it? 
Because Peter's life may be one of the best lives to use to showcase the two potential answers that we could get when we are going through a season of sifting. I think there's one thing that often comes out after the sifting is done. And that is an inflated view of myself. That's what Peter had. An inflated view of himself. When Jesus says to him, Simon, Satan has requested to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed that your faith may not fail. Peter's first response is not, thank you, Jesus, for doing that. God, I will try to do my best to follow you, or Lord, I will trust you. Peter's response is, no, God, you've got it wrong. I am the one who will go to prison and die for you. His inflated view of himself takes over in the middle of the sifting. He says, I will go to prison and I will die for you. Those of you who've ever been attacked by the enemy or you know what this feels like to go through a season of sifting in your life, you know what this feels like. But there's a scheme that the enemy uses that sometimes we can miss. Sometimes we assume that the devil just wants you to trust him more, and that's not necessarily what we see in Scripture. What the devil wants is for you to trust yourself more. He wants you to believe in yourself. In fact, it's one of the most important messages we hear in our world around us. Believe in yourself. You are the solution to your own problems. You can ultimately cure and, and fix anything that's going on in your life if you just believe in yourself. Oftentimes when the enemy sifts us, when he violently shakes our life or he brings turmoil or agony into our life, what he's actually doing is trying to build in you a greater trust in yourself. To believe that you can be the solution to your problems. Just like Peter in this moment, God, I will go to prison and I will die for you. I am capable. I am the one that knows what's going on. And so we inflate ourselves. We inflate who we think we are. As you go through a season of sifting in your life, what's left? Do you find yourself trusting yourself more? Do you find yourself believing that I am the solution to my own problem? I am the one that will get myself and my family through this. Because we all have a tendency to trust ourselves more in these seasons of violent shaking in our lives. This past two weeks, I caught two students cheating on exams in my classes. And it's not been a good thing. It's not something any teacher wants to ever do. But I've caught two students cheating. Both of them were using their phone in the middle of the test. And I confronted both of them. Those confrontations are not pleasant ever. I've got to ask questions. And both students, very vehemently at the beginning, denied that they cheated. But the more I proved to them that I'd caught them, and I knew exactly what they did and what sites they went to to find the answers, as soon as you confronted them further they finally, over time, admitted that, yes, they might have cheated or they may have done something that wasn't ethical during the test. But what really caught me off guard was those 15, 20, 30 minutes of conversation in between the accusation and the admission. Both students, who don't know each other, spent 15, 20, 30 minutes telling me how good they are, how hard they work, how much trouble they've overcome in their lives. What great fighters they are and what great students they are. They told me about how wonderful they are as people. They told me that they would never cheat because they are such ethical people and they're such good people. And of course, about five minutes later, they'd admit they cheated. 
We all have a tendency to do this, to inflate ourselves, to make ourselves look and feel better to ourselves and fool ourselves in this process to believe that we are better. Because when I go through the sifting, I feel better when I make myself look better. And we keep putting our trust in ourselves. We said this before, that who we think we are doesn't always match up with who God knows we are. But I want to remind us this, that when who I think I am conflicts with who God knows I am, someone will be denied in life. Let me say that again. When who I think I am conflicts with who God knows I am, when it conflicts with who God is, someone will be denied. In Peter's case, his own view of himself got so high that when push came to shove and he stood around that fire and servant girls and different people were standing around that fire saying, Peter, you're, you walked with this Jesus. You knew him. Weren't you one of his disciples? Aren't you a Galilean that walked with this other Galilean? That must be you. And Peter would say, no, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. He would say it over and over again because somewhere in his life, he became more important than the God that he served. His inflated view of himself, his worry, the status I would lose, the persecution I would face became bigger in his life than the role of God in his life. If we're honest, every one of us, when we are in a season of sifting, this can happen to us. We can become so separated from God because of the troubles we're going through that when it comes to you and God, you're going to choose yourself over and over and over again. Why? Because you've inflated yourself to believe you can solve this. You can fix this. You can trust yourself. When who I think I am conflicts with who God knows I am, someone will get denied. More specifically, when who I think I am becomes greater than who God knows I am, I'll deny Christ. I'll choose myself over Christ every single time. And this morning, for some of us, this is all too real because we faced this maybe even this past week where push came to shove, where the hardship of this world and the hardship of life confronted with who I think I am. And when I saw the hardship of life, I said, you know what? God, I know what you're saying and I know what you're promising, but I got to handle this on my own. I've got to figure this out on my own. It's up to me. And as a result, we deny Christ and we deny his role in our life just like Peter did. We deny that we walked with him these past few years. We deny that he parted the the, the waters for us. We deny that he walked on water. We deny that he performed miracles. We deny everything we saw because right now I trust myself more than anything else. When who I think I am becomes greater than who God knows I am, I will deny Jesus in my life. And that's something that we all have to come to terms with, especially in a world where who you are or who you look like or who you put yourself out there as is so critically important in our world today. If you think about how much time and effort and energy is put into putting out an image of yourself in the world around us. Just a couple of years ago, I remember this great news story that I I heard of of a young lady who was caught smuggling 209 pounds of cocaine on a cruise ship. And when she was questioned about why would you give up your life for this cocaine smuggling habit that you had on a cruise ship of all places, her response was that the drug dealers, the drug cartels offered to send me around the world on cruises if I would just smuggle these drugs. To which the reporter asked the question, but still, why would you do that? 
And she said so that I'd have photos for Instagram. Think about how much we are willing to sacrifice to put out a version of ourselves and then fool the world, but also fool ourselves into believing we are better than we actually are. Because when who I think I am becomes greater than who God knows I am, I will likely deny Christ because I'll be so separated from him in the sifting process. So one option when we are sifted is to have an inflated view of ourselves. The other option, to have an elevated trust in the Lord. When you are being sifted, does your trust in the Lord grow or does it diminish in those moments? Because this is what God was hoping for in Peter. Jesus says to him, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Why? When you go through the sifting. In fact, if you take even a step further back, you'll learn this. Satan asks permission of God to sift Peter. We see the same concept in the book of Job, where Satan asks permission to test and try Job, and God grants the permission. Think about how easy it will be for God to say, no, you can't touch my child. But God specifically says, yes, I will give permission to Satan, but I will also pray that your faith may not fail. Because God knows that there is a purpose in the middle of the pain that you go through in the sifting. That purpose is that I can make you and refine you into something far better and more useful for my kingdom if you go through this period of sifting and trust me in the process. The way that the enemy attacks us, my friends, he attacks us in those moments when we're most vulnerable. We saw that a few weeks ago when we looked at how Satan tempted Christ. He attacks us when we are weak physically, weak mentally. But he also attacks us when he knows where we're headed. When he knows that we'll have an impact on the kingdom of God, that's when he asks permission to attack us. Because that's the most useful time for him to derail us from the purpose that God has for us. So many of you sitting here, I was talking to a friend the other day telling me about this. He said that the closer I got to God, the more I was being sifted. The more violent pain and shaking I felt in my life as I got closer and closer to the Lord. The more time I committed to God, the more time I committed to my family and leading other people to Christ, the more I was sifted. But you know what? The more my trust was elevated in the Lord as well. It was one of, our, one of our, uh, our beloved people who come and attend our first service here at Belmont. I was talking to her right after the first service. And she was telling me about all the hardships she's going through in life right now. But she kept saying at the end, my trust in God is stronger today than it was last year and the year before. And it's hard to imagine if you think about all she's faced over these last few years for her to say that. Because this was the purpose in the sifting. Why did Jesus grant permission for Satan to sift Peter? Because Jesus knew who Peter would become. And this is so important for us to understand. Because Peter had an inflated view of himself in this moment. And it led him to deny Jesus. But This same Peter would not last that way. He would not stay that way. The Bible teaches us a lot about Peter's future as well and what would happen with this same Peter that we talk about. That God would permit Satan to sift him and Peter would fail. Peter would have one of the most public denials of Jesus that we have in Scripture. He would fail. But the story wasn't over in Peter's life. And here's oftentimes what we have to understand. When who God is becomes greater than who I think I am, I will deny myself. I will deny myself before I deny Jesus. In fact, Jesus would speak to these same disciples in Luke 3 and Luke 9, and he would say, if anyone 
would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This idea of when God becomes bigger than me, when my role in the equation becomes smaller and God becomes bigger, I will deny myself so that I can follow after this Lord. And Peter would learn that in his life. Peter would make this public failure, this public denial of Jesus, but his story wasn't over. There were chapters that God was still writing in his life. And right now, some of you listening right now are probably in this phase where you've said, God, I've failed. I've sinned. I've fallen short. I've done something that I know would anger you. Therefore, I've decided my story with you is done. In fact, when I think about my closest friends and family and loved ones who have turned away from God, this was the reason why. They believed that as soon as they failed, God would have no purpose for them. God would not care about them. God would not love them because God was angry with me. But that's not the gospel that we see in Scripture. That's not what Jesus would do in a few hours after this interaction with Peter. In fact, what Jesus would do would change the course of history. Jesus would tell Peter and show Peter, Peter, there is nothing you can do. There are no works you can do. There is no perfect life that you can live that will give you access to my kingdom. But I will go to the cross. I will die for you, Peter. I will pay the price for you, Peter. I will go to the grave. I will rise again on the third day. And then you will understand understand, Peter, that there was a purpose in the sifting. There was a purpose in the pain, and that purpose was to come and follow after me with your whole heart. When you look at Peter's life in the future, in just a couple of minutes, you'll see how fast it fast forwards. This same Peter, who would deny Jesus the night before he goes to the cross, He would get to see Jesus a few more times after he resurrected. And you'll get to see part of it in his third interaction with Jesus after he's resurrected. Peter, in many ways, may have decided to give up on this faith. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus went to the grave. And now Peter is out in the Sea of Tiberias fishing. And we read this in the book of John. When he and his cohorts, and you'll learn this quickly, that Peter was called as a fisherman and he returns to going back to being a fisherman in this chapter. And he looks to the shore and he sees a man there lighting a fire. And he recognizes eventually that it's Jesus that's lighting that fire. And he has this conversation with Jesus. And Jesus tells him, Peter, go feed my sheep. Sometimes when we read it in the Bible, it can feel like months have passed, years have passed. This is just a few days after Peter had publicly denied Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, I'm not done with you. You may have publicly failed me, but I'm not done with you. I still have a purpose and a calling in your life. Now go and accomplish it. So many of us can feel like we're disqualified from God's service because we failed in the past. And this morning, Peter's story reminds us that God is not done with you yet that the story is yet to be written and what he desires of each of us is to come back to him, to call out to him because God in this moment, you'll see what happens as Peter denies Jesus that third time. The Bible says that the Lord looked at Peter. It wasn't necessarily a look of condemnation or a look of Peter, ha ha, I told you you would fail me. It was a look of Peter, I'm not done with you yet. And Jesus would go to the cross and die for Peter. He would die for you. He would die for me. Why? Because the story is not done in any of us. This morning I ask you, when you are in a season of sifting, when you've been violently shaken and the enemy is trying to separate you from the Lord, what's left at the end? Is it an inflated view of yourself or is it an elevated trust 
in the Lord. As our worship team comes back and we prepare to close this morning, I want to shed some light on the future of Peter. The same Peter who would say that, God, I'll go to prison and I'll die for you, would do just that. Do you know Peter would eventually be crucified for his faith in Jesus, publicly executed? Peter would write things in the book of 2 and 1 Peter about the enemy that he may have learned from this season. He would say that your adversary, the devil, roars like a lion and his desire is for you. He would talk a lot about being attacked by the enemy. But this same Peter, who would publicly deny Jesus, who was not disqualified by Jesus, would stand up in front of the people of Israel, including the rulers and the leaders of that time, and he would say like this in Acts chapter 2, in a public declaration, he would say, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The most public declaration we probably ever see in the book of Acts came days after the most public denial that you will find in the book of Luke. God's not done with you yet, my friends. You may think he's done because I've messed up, so he must be done. And this morning he reminds you that when you are sifted by the enemy, you can either have an inflated view of yourself or an elevated trust in the Lord. Will you bow your heads this morning with me as we pray? God, we thank you for the reminder that when we are sifted, it ultimately matters what's left. God, I ask forgiveness for myself. And I ask, Lord God, that you would recognize, Lord, there have been many, many times where my view of myself has completely overshadowed who you are and who you know I am. Thank you, God, that your plan is not done with any of us. Thank you, Lord, that you have loved us to the point of death and that you chose people like Peter and people like us who fail you time and time again, yet you do not disqualify us. Thank you for the sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for the truth of the gospel that we cannot earn our salvation. We simply have to trust what you've already done for us. God, forgive us for the times that we have denied you in order to elevate ourselves. Lord, I pray that you'd give us hearts to deny ourselves in order to elevate you. Thank you again for this time. Speak through us continually. In Jesus' name we pray.